Hello, everybody. It's your boy, Will Meneker, and it's your Chompo. Uh, joining me this week, of course, is Felix Biederman and Amber Frost. Hello. Hello. But sitting in with us today, we have a very special guest. It's John Boyce. John, hello. Thank you. Is that how you say it, Boyce? Is it, well, you tell me. Oh, no. I, I've always wondered. People have, <laughs> people have said it any kind of way. So, yeah, Boyce works. John Dab Boyce. <laughs> there, you know what's interesting is Frank, Frank Mir, like the fighter who famously fought Brock Lesnar, the just uh, psycho Dakotan WWE guy. He always pronounced his name as Frank Mir, and then Brock always called him Frank Burr. And for like a week, Frank Mir said his own name that way. He was like bullied into doing that, but he doesn't do it anymore. It was one of the strangest things that's happened. Uh, well, to be fair, I'm only pronouncing it how uh, Felix pronounces it, so that's the only time I've heard it. So yeah, and so I say it the right way. Yeah, okay. Whatever, however way I say it, I'm going to try three more different ways during the show. It's the right way every time. Oh, I mean, that's how we hedged our bets in the documentary. Just say something like four different ways, and one of them is going to be right. Turned out, like Japanese, pretty bad, but I nailed like forty percent of them. Brazil or Brazilian Portuguese, like actually like eighty five percent. It's a fake language anyway. It's a different romance language, but I fucked up Dutch the worst. Apparently, there's a way to say Boss Rutten's name that I did wrong. or I, That's not the way you say it, the way I've always heard it. But I don't know. I th- I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with my stats. When, they do, when we do Fighting in the Age of Loneliness of Loneliness, the five-part <laughs> documentary about the documentary, <laughs> you can do a stat breakdown of my pronunciations. Oh yeah, with like a nice infographic that shows your, you know, your wins and losses and draws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a Google Earth on my apartment. Me, me never <laughs> using it ever. <laughs> You're in Street View, just vaping outside. <laughs> yeah, they're like, this, this, why isn't this moving? And I'm like, you're telling me. Well, uh, yeah, Felix and uh, John, of course, are the creative team behind the new uh, documentary series, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness a uh, series about the history of MMA and uh, its place in our uh, bizarre uh, neoliberal culture. And it's about so much more. That's the really, really impressive thing about it is that I thought I have to uh, support my um, strange brain-damaged brother by watching watching this thing he made. And... um, like it did a really good job of zooming out. I assumed it would be like really tech kind of technically oriented or whatever. And you definitely had some of that, but I was really impressed about how you contextualized it culturally. Well, thank you. I mean, <clears throat> this started basically about two years ago. I uh, hung out with Felix and I was like, Felix, you know how in politics you punch your ballot, but in fighting you punch your opponent? It's very much the same. It's a meta- metaphor simile, uh, allegory. And he was like, yeah, it is. And uh, then we made this doc- this documentary for two years, and it's out. Yeah, it was built entirely on that premise. It was like, you know, one time, yeah, two years ago, I turned to John and I said, you know, two fighters in the octagon, it goes to decision. But two politicians in a Congress, yeah, that goes to election. Mm. Damn. And yeah. Yeah, that's it's basically the root of the script. Well, uh, fighting in the age of loneliness, like, can you sum up, like, like where, where did the title come from? And, like, what were you trying to capture uh, with that? What is, I, the, what is the age of loneliness? Uh, now. Yeah. I mean, I've always, <laughs> yeah. I've always said it's an exceptionally lonely time, and uh, I've touched on it a lot on this show, but uh, I, 
it sort of stemmed from like a concept from a you know, friend of the show, Shannon Strucci, her concept of parasocial relationships, which is uh, sort of people pantomiming friendship through the media figures whose products they consume. And I thought it was a very, very succinct, apt description of like our age of media consumption. It's in her video, uh, Fake Friends. We can put the link in the description. But um, it, it also stems from like a Kevin Phillips thing, which I've talked about. His idea that as we go further and further into the 21st century, uh, we become more futile in our thinking. We, we less have elected representatives, more have just individual powerful people whose identity who's like identities as uh media figures or politicians uh reflect our values and our our, our who we are and there's something like that for everyone you know you, you there is the monarch for for gamers there's the monarch for you know racist teenagers and then you're both of those things exactly the king of both of those things exactly <laughs> but uh you know, MMA, it started out as this sort of thing, I think, for like a sort of like dislocated white middle class. And obviously, obviously, there are like a huge explosion, in like demographics of people who watch MMA. But that's certainly how it started. And I wanted to sort of like trace how it got that way. And what you know, why, why in the early 90s did this become such a thing? And why did it become such a thing in the late 2000s? And why is it the way it is now? And you can kind of you know, you can trace sort of our increasing cultural loneliness and individual atomization to the trends in the sport, just like you can do it with the trends of a bunch of other things. Yeah. I think it's, it's also like a, like a, you touched on this with like corporate culture kind of becoming more restrictive and delineated and stuff. And I think people like rightfully feel very overly domesticated by a world that is nonetheless you know, very savage and all the all the protections of a basic welfare state, what little we had started to evaporate. And I don't know, it just kind of made perfect sense that people were like, well, what if we had this this animalistic game that made us feel less undomesticated? I mean, like, look, we're not going to get out of this without talking about Fight Club, but we're not going to do it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, the word, well, you know, I actually just started on this as a sequel to Fight Club. Fight Club, <laughs> Fight Club 2, why Tyler Durden is cool. This is the point of the movie. Was that he was a cool guy cool who kicked guy. ass. He's Fight. my friend and he's real. <laughs> yeah. do, dude, I want that furniture Ed Norton's got. It's fucking sick, dog. <laughs> he doesn't understand the movie. Yo, I don't know. I, yo. Yo, no shit, dude. I don't understand why he left that job. That was fucking sick. <laughs> uh, we were talking earlier, and you said like the the highest compliment uh, someone uh, paid uh, this documentary is that it's it's Adam Curtis for stupid guys. It's like Adam Curtis for nicest, flat print hat guys. Nicest thing anyone's ever <laughs> and, yeah. said to me. My God. And, and what you guys do is, yeah, you you know you talk about you know this post Reagan and Thatcher era in the West when we basically just sort of snipped away all of the things that sort of bound the middle class together and sort of community and uh, some sense of security and, and just sort of cut people adrift at a time when they were still, their lives became more regimented and surveilled and uh, sort of controlled in a way. And then I just, I, and they were told that it was, that it was more civilized. Yeah. They're like, this is a civilizing thing. And it's like, actually this is incredibly savage. It's just really, it's just really domesticated. And it was, I, I, I thought about this, like of this of sort of a culture of atomized individuals and then like MMA and the UFC as a sport as this sort of like 
spectacle of like two of those atoms combining in like that octagon ring and then just like beating the shit out of each other as a way of like finding connection in some way through, uh, as you say, consensual violence. One thing about Felix's uh, script that really resonated with me was that uh, in chapter four, he notes that it's not really part of our discourse, but people just check the hell out in the aughts. Um, I, it really struck a chord with me because like, I remember being, you know, it was like 2004. I was working in some dumpy radio shack in Virginia, um, getting paid basically minimum wage. Uh, there was no chance of anyone unionizing. Everyone was too beaten down. Um, there was basically no prospect for the future for anybody. And that's something that really is not that talked about, um, I guess, because the people, the majority of people experiencing that um, never get a place where they do talk about it or they're too just like fed up and tired to talk about it. But it's often... You know, it's it's nice to kind of try to tell that story, and I think we took a really good stab at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was it's something I've been thinking about. I guess like since even during the lead up to the twenty sixteen election, I mean, there's just all this uh all this talk about like non voters and how we have this we have this idea of non voters as like a monolith, which is fucking insane because it's almost over half, half the, the country. country. Yeah. Yeah. but. Oh yeah, sure. There are some people. the 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 archetype, like the liberal media archetype, is just like it's just some shitty like twenty two year old who's like, "Yo, Mad Trace, it's like between a turd and a douche." <laughs> 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 but that's you know, I think that's the vast majority, or the vast that's a very small minority of it. I think the vast majority are people who are like they can't even think about that shit. They don't. Yeah, they're. They're completely fucking checked out and and flattened, and it, they don't feel like they have a reason to see the positive application of power or politics in right. their lives. It's and, uh, yeah. it's the thing that infuriates me about like what you know. One of the top like media class things that you do is uh, whenever a natural disaster hits a state that voted red, you're like, "Yep, that's what you get." Whereas like what eighty percent of the people didn't even think about voting in that state. It's it's kind of what you do is you just blame those people. Well, God thought... is punishing them, obviously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. If we can all become Westboro Baptist Church guys, <laughs> <laughs> you get what you deserve. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of that is a, a decent amount of what liberals do now. But yeah, no, that time period was. I think like Mark Fisher was probably the only person who kind of talked about like the listlessness and like hopelessness of it or whatever. He talked about like the anhedonia where it's just like you are incapable of experiencing like joy, like nothing feels particularly alive around you. So you're just sort of sludging through life. And like, I don't know. Obviously, it makes sense that like two people beating the shit out of each other in a really primitive way. It might be something that could break through that. Well, like you described, like there's a kind of intimacy in that. And like, as we're talking about this era where people's lives are like in the, in the, the era that we've all been born into and grew up in, it was like a time when like our lives couldn't be like more physically like safer, but are actually like more fragile and like more like unsafe, socially, and politically socially emotionally or, or, yeah. or psychologically more unmoored and unstable than it was in the past. And that like, like I said, this two guys sort of like, meeting together and then having that violent confrontation as a kind of active intimacy or connection with another human being. Yeah. I mean, there, there is something to be said about like the way that uh, like, if you watch a great fight or even like a bad one, uh, because I think it's hard for fighters to tell often if they're in a bad fight because they've been fighting for 15 minutes, but 
There is, I'd say, I wish I could do a statistical breakdown of it, but it would literally take years. There was all often like a very deep, powerful embrace between the two after. And it's something you don't, I think that there is this desire in the larger culture to see like, uh, two people like have this real emotional moment after this. And for as much as you can make fun of MMA and say it's tawdry and trashy and dumb and it's as it is as much uh, those things as much as like anything else in our culture there is something undeniably real about two people who have for two months all they have done is thought about each other and they're the main focus in their lives and overcoming the other person is there that is to them the only person in their way for a better life for whatever it is that they want whether it's to you know uh buy buy food and shelter and a future for their family or to realize this personal goal coming from years of strife or whatever and just this one person in their way and how powerful it is that after they've shared this thing that even though it is viewed by often millions of people uh only they can understand each what they did they know each other in this way and that connection they have after there's all yeah there's that like deep like broy hug i i don't just mean male fighters it's between women fighters too that it's cool in this way that's hard to explain and i think it sort of deeply connects to people it's a genuine connection that i think most people will never have yeah it reminds me specifically of what you said reminds me of bonner griffin you know the the ultimate fighter fight that kind of like saved the ufc or whatever and i you know i was looking at photos while we were producing this of the fight and they just beat the absolute like dog shit out of each other for you know however uh, for like fifteen minutes I think it was, and at the end it's just their photos of them hugging and raising each other's hands up and it's almost like they're expressing a feeling of like God buddy we did it like we actually did it and it's strange because they almost sort of express themselves as, as teammates when they just got done beating the shit out of each other. You, you describe MMA and like the, the UFC, like you describe the dawn of this sport as being a sport for sort of weirdos and outsiders at a time in our culture where more and more people were feeling like weirdos and outsiders. So, uh, John and Felix, like who are like in the course of writing and researching this documentary or just in general, who are some of your favorite like oddball characters to come out of this world that you liked uh, talking about or portraying on film? There are a bunch of Japanese fighters that I think. And I think Japan was sort of ahead of this, uh, the curve on this because, you know, they, of course, experienced the lost decade. And I think that engendered a lot of weirdos and outcasts and people who never fit in. Yeah, they were like literally on the kind of neoliberal atomization tip before we before we were. It happened so quick for them. Yeah. And so Minoa Man, uh, I'm not going to even try to say his first name. I've fucked up enough <laughs> Japanese. I'm not going to piss anyone off. But his last name was Minoa. His nickname was Minoa Man. He was a pro wrestler who his nickname was the Giant Killer. And he would train by like he would go to an airport, like outside an airport, and try to outrun an airplane taking off. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that that who was the Roman emperor that told uh, his men to go out and beat the sea, and so they just started stabbing <laughs> the ocean. Was that Caligula? It might have been Caligula. But in between fucking his sister and a horse or whatever. Well, everyone yeah. has good and bad sides. <laughs> uh, I mean, Pride, the promotion he fought in, uh, the promotion he made his name in, it was famous, and we talk about this in the, in the documentary, for 
purposely like <laughs> matching up very diminutive fighters with like physical giants just to be like, oh, what would it be like if this happened? But he only wanted those fights. He only wanted to fight. He was about like 5'8 and about 180 pounds. And he would just fight like guys who were verging on seven feet tall, like 400 pounds. That was all the only type of fight he wanted to take. And there's Takanori Gomi, who was just, he was a fucking prodigy. Like knowing there are very few fighters who were like him because he could, he could sprawl, sprawl and brawl, meaning that he could use his wrestling to keep himself off the ground. And just knock people out in the way and control the fight in this way. But he was also like, he was a wild man. Like he 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 would just like sort of train in high schools with high school wrestling teams, and not for like he wasn't a pervert, but he was just a weird guy. And he was just like, just got drunk constantly. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. trained with high school wrestling teams. <laughs> Still not a pervert though. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I there were some, but I think my favorite fighter i would say is john jones mm-hmm. i think john jones is like the to me he's the most interesting guy in the sport because we've never really seen anyone like him and john jones is you know if you watch the nfl you're familiar with arthur and chandler jones uh i forget what teams they play for now but one's retired yeah and i think, I think arthur plays. right yeah i think so yeah and chandler is a wide receiver if i remember right he used to be on the patriots mm, i don't really watch football no it's it's crazy john jones is insane because i mean he'll never get this kind of recognition but he's probably one of the greatest athletes who like has ever lived i would say at least of this century um of any sport and people don't really view mma athletes like in that particular way but i was talking to to uh you about this felix a few months back and like the athlete he kind of reminds me of in some respects is Bo Jackson who yeah you know Bo right. Jackson is my like hero like ever since I was a little kid and you know they have this similarity for different reasons which is that we saw this guy do things that seemed like they shouldn't be possible um just like you know uh, Bo Jackson just refused to practice or work out or whatever because he's like why would I ever practice I just want to go out there and play and he didn't need to practice or lift weights or anything same thing with John Jones who uh basically learned moves he learned off YouTube like he would just watch YouTube and then he'd try the moves in the ring and uh, they worked. And, um, you know, it looks like we're going to see Jones fight again. But for a while, it looked like we might ever never see him fight ever again because he kept getting popped for steroid use. And he was facing a four year suspension at one time. And, um, you know, just like Bo Jackson broke his hip and we just never saw the greatest athlete of the 20th century play football again. Yeah. And the John Jones, to set some context for him, he sort of burst onto the scene. Like there was always like grainy footage of him in pre-UFC fights, just doing incredible throws on people that it made it look like they were a stunt person, like leaning into the throw. He had this incredible wrestling degree. He, uh, he, co- he comes in the UFC and just beats the shit out of everyone. His only loss to this day, it's a disqualification for throwing 12 to six elbows, which are, when instead of uh, throwing your elbows sort of at the side, like sort of horizontally, you bring, you sort of have your elbow at like a right angle to the floor and you bring it down. And there's no reason it's illegal other than this is literally the reason when they were making the unified rules of mixed martial arts, one of the dumb shit athletic commissioners and, you know, whatever corrupt state government was like, Oh, I saw somebody break boards with that on TV <laughs> in a karate demonstration. Imagine yep. what it could do to a human head. It's just completely unscientific. But yeah, he he lost because he did that to Matt Hamill in a fight he would have just otherwise won by technical knockout. 
But the the thing on John Jones was his dad was a Pentecostal minister and he was raised very strictly. But he was sort of like a ne'er do well as a kid in this family of like outstanding athletes in this devoutly religious household. He experienced the loss of his sister due to uh, leukemia at the age of about 17, I think. And his image for his first fights we saw him was like this goody goody Christian fighter. And he would say things like, Oh, I used to call the police on kids who would smoke weed in high school. (laughs) And so people like hardcore fans fucking hated him. (laughs) They hated him so much because not only was he like that, he was fighting guys like Shogun Hua, like these guys they had loved for years and years and years and just not even giving them a moment, just trashing them, just making them look like shit. Like they had just picked a guy out of the audience. And after like, you know, little while on top he gets a dui and it's with he's he's married now he was engaged at the time uh and has kids and there was a girl in the car there was like a a woman in the car and everyone's like oh we got you bitch but something weird happened after that and he started to be more himself he started to like he actually like kind of showed the guy he was which is like this deeply damaged individual who you know he gets his girlfriend pregnant when he's like a kid basically he applies for a job to be a janitor at lockheed martin gets denied and the only thing he can think of because he was a junior college wrestling champion is like oh my god what if i fucking fight like both my brothers are like football stars i could i fucked up at that like i couldn't do that what if i just do this and he just he's better than everyone and of course he would have like this stunted development because every crucial time in his life he was supposed to like be allowed to be a kid something whether it was the loss of a sibling or like an unexpected pregnancy he never got to do it and so he becomes this adult he's thrust into this and he's like okay i have to act good i have to act good i have to act like how my dad would want me to act uh uh, uh, i hate it when people smoke weed (laughs) and then of course it break you can't keep that up forever you can especially not if millions of people are watching you destroy people and you're like, I'm the shit. I'm the greatest of all time. What the fuck? I'm the greatest. And all these people hate you. But then he started, that's when he started to be more himself. And he had this fight with Daniel Cormier, who, you know, I hate that it had to be Cormier because Daniel Cormier is one of the nicest people to ever compete in any sport. But they have this huge rivalry. And there is this famous lead up to the fight where they get into a fight at the press conference before their fight. And then they go on ESPN and they don't know the tape is rolling. They don't know they're live. And Jones, who, like, you never hear, you've never heard him say anything like this. The first thing he says is, like, are you still there, pussy? (laughs) And it's so fuck. It's, like, so, and they just, like, they have this insane back and forth where Cormier is, like, if I was over there, I'd spit in your face. And Jones goes, if you spit in my face, I'd fucking kill you. You know that. (laughs) And it's so, like, you can make fun of it because it's, like, very middle school. Like, oh, dude, I would kill you before the spit even came out of your mouth. But it's so, like, it's so, like, there's so much unbridled hatred and rage that we had never seen in this guy before. And he starts, he beats Cormier in this amazing fight. He goes on and on, and then he experiences more steroid. He he blows for PEDs, and we talk about PEDs a little bit in the documentary. And he blows for cocaine, 
Like he had a coke hangover during one of his yeah. fights with Cormier. Which means yeah. you had to have done it like earlier that day. Yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. it's yeah. like in and out of your system. <laughs> well, and the great thing is he was so unapologetic about that because at the presser before the fight, uh, Cormier was like, yeah, you junkie, like you cokehead or whatever. And uh, Jones is like, yeah, I beat, uh, I, I, I had uh, cocaine one weekend and then I just came in and beat your ass and that's it. And that was the same guy who snitched on kids who smoked pot. He's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I see him as this, He's as much of a tragic figure as like a guy who, you know, has beat the shit out of anyone he's ever fought and made a ton of money doing it is because I feel like, yeah, he's someone who never really got to experience his youth and he tried to get bits and pieces of it as like a professional adult. And the other thing that makes me like him is I think hardcore MMA fans have sort of twisted views of people and they've always just assumed Jones is a dick because he says these things that like a highly competitive person who is the best at what they do would say and you know beat up their favorite guys but just anecdotally i've heard like people who know the sport and have covered the sport very well have told me like yeah he's i've seen him like go out of his way for like fans things that won't Mm -hmm. even make it to camera and i think that he's the exact type of like complex person who has good and bad sides and is also has this side of him that no one else has that yeah he's my favorite I think he's, he's a the land most interest- contrast mm-hmm. he is he lives in a society <laughs> yeah. uh, by the I, way one confound i think the most confounding piece of feedback i've received about our documentary on the ped point is uh i saw somebody call us cops because we said steroids were good which they were good because your cops were saying the stories are good yes yeah I don't think anyone can explain that to me. I just found it I hilarious. Yeah. I don't think he knew what a cop was. But I just was like, that's awesome. Maybe he doesn't know steroids. I do want to talk. People got mad. I, you guys haven't gotten into it yet, but there is a part where we talk about steroids in the fifth part, and they interpreted it as unambiguously pro-steroid. And I guess that's kind of my fault for how I wrote it. But It's kind of your fault for it's what you believe or what you said <laughs> and wrote. This is the only part where I'm on camera and I'm wearing a shirt that says, <laughs> do, do, do steroids <laughs> now. Yeah. Look, I can see how people misinterpreted that. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, my point about steroid, steroid, there is steroid use in MMA. It's actually, you know, if totally unscientific anecdotal numbers are to believe, be believed. It's prevalent and yet less prevalent than every other major professional sport but uh my point about steroids was that the reason a lot of people take them is steroids have this amazing thing where they help you recover for an injury and go figure this incredibly demanding sport that sort of prohibits you from leading a normal life after people want to take this amazing chemical that uh, (laughs) allows them to not be sidelined for a fucking year when they take it yeah, I mean, I'm I'm as pro steroid as you are, basically. I just, <laughs> honestly, I mean, my only thing I have to say against is like, eh, if you're like a teen, you probably shouldn't use it. But like, or don't like do too much, I guess, or maybe do too much, That's or fine do it too. with your friends. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, do you know? Don't do it alone. Your, we're all doing it right now. We're <laughs> yeah, like, all roiding out right I, now. I want to be the cool steroid dad. He's I like, rather, I'd rather you do it here. Just the just the most arrested man in history, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> 16 year old son and 20 of his friends are just doing Anavar in your basement. <laughs> oh, there yeah, problem. have to be steroid dads. There are. Yeah. There, I mean, Sage Northcutt's dad. Is, oh, yeah. Which he was fascinating to me because, like, you know, you're talking earlier about how it's kind of difficult to be a, um, like, in terms of like athlete personas, every sport has their wholesome guys. And, like, all sports, Almost every sport has to run off the fact that there's one wholesome guy who would call the cops on someone smoking weed or is really Jesus-y or whatever. Yeah, every sport and needs then, a Tebow. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
Sage Northcutt is like this weird, but it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. It seems like a, it's just like, it's like finding out that Alice Cooper is really Christian. It's just like one of these <laughs> things that doesn't make sense. And it's like, why are you like this? And it seems like he's trying to bring some kind of um, respectability to a fundamentally carny sport, ridiculous yeah. sport. Well, I, Sage is interesting because he's like one of those few guys in sports who I actually believe is like that, like. There's this. It seems earnest. It's totally earnest, and my he's like an angel. He watched. He was training with Tyron Woodley, uh, and uh, Tyron Woodley um, watched the movie Birth of a Nation with it, not the D.W. Griffith one. <laughs> the movie Birth of a Nation. <laughs> the with one it. about the the Nat Turner slave. Yeah, revolt. yeah. And Sage Northcutt. First, he literally he cooked chicken with Sage, and he put seasoning on the chicken. Sage went. Whoa, it tastes so much better. <laughs> that literally That's happened. That like, literally yeah. happened. And then they watched Birth of the Nation and Sage went, he was like completely depressed. And was like, oh my God, why did we do that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the cutest. Yeah. <laughs> this is like giving vodka to Rod and Todd. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, he's this weird, um, almost impenetrable kind of chipper wholesomeness that, just makes zero sense in a sport where people just beat the shit out of each other. Everyone he knows is kind of a psycho, and he's just so yeah. he's like, oh man, there is this irrepressibly he, wholesome. He he posted this picture once where he's like shirtless, like cleaning his truck, and he's like <laughs> getting it all clean, like you know, uh, <laughs> like women try and hit on him too, which yeah, is my the, favorite thing, and he just does not get it. Yeah, no, there was the, yeah that happened. Like I think I think it was Tesha Torres or someone else uh, replied to it when he was washing his truck you know with his glistening muscles out it was like me next and he went awesome bring your truck over <laughs> well, uh john you mentioned that every every sport needs a, a tebow let me ask you this you know if you're a gm in uh ufc right now you taking a chance you're signing tebow you want him on your team get Abs him in the get him in the octagon of course he's a multi-sport talent i mean he's, 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 he's hitting 204 for the new york mets triple a team 204 is really good <laughs> I want to become the Tim Tebow of esports. Just not good at all, and not Christian. Just I'm gonna be like Baha'i. It's got to be. It's got. You got to have a weird form. You hold your controller upside down or something. <laughs> um, just everyone yelling at me because I'm praying over communication. Discord. <laughs> uh, John, like, what were the? Was there anything uh, that you? sort of like a thread that you pulled out putting this stuff together that like didn't make the cut you know you always gotta you know kill your favorites or whatever in any creative endeavor but what you know what what was left on the cutting room floor that uh didn't make it into the documentary that uh still interests you or you wish that you could have more time or space to expand on oh man i got an answer for that for sure it's um the very first ufc fight ufc won in 1993 and we talked about the tournament but we didn't really talk about the actual first fight of the night which was Felix? Maybe you can help me out with the pronunciation, but no. Oh yeah, I yeah, can't. No, dude. That's can't. my department, right? Right. Just however you say it, it's going to be right. Taylor Tuli, I guess the the sumo wrestler. Oh, I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to call him that. Yeah. He was fighting against Gerard Gordeau, who was just this insanely dirty uh, kickboxer, and so you know, there's a weight mismatch of like 150 or 200 pounds. It's really even striking watching video of it, and he's this you know Tuli's this giant sumo wrestler. They meet in the ring, and they go to the center. Um, Tuli, the only thing he really knows how to do is just bum rush him. Um, and, you know, with his head 
down, his head leading the way, which is very yeah, that's bad. kind of their whole move. This kind of yeah. kind of what you do. A uh, very incompatible move because Gordeau just winds up and just kicks the unholy shit out of his face so hard that a couple of Thule's teeth uh, come flying out. One of them, um, according to a couple things I read, gets implanted in Gordeau's foot. Ooh, yeah, man. yeah, yeah. The thing is, they still have a couple more fights to go in that night. So they're like, okay, well, what do you want to do? And the doctor's like, okay, well, if we take this tooth out of your foot, blood's going to go everywhere and you're not going to be able to fight. Um, so they decide to leave the tooth in and just wrap it up. So he fought two more fights that night with someone else's tooth in his foot. Well, you got to wrap it up. Otherwise, it violates the, if he kicks someone, it would violate the rule against biting. Mm-hmm. Right, um, he, but that the Gordeau guy, you said he was uh, incredibly dirty, and then in that same one where he in the in the finals he faced off against what uh, Hoist Gracie, yeah, and uh, he bit him, he bit his ear or something yeah. in that mm-hmm. fight, and yeah. then uh, you said like to get back at him when he when Hoist Gracie finally tapped him out, he kept him in that fucking hold like <laughs> about five or ten seconds yeah. longer than you uh, should have. The you see him tap like at least fifteen times in that video. He's just like God, Jesus, I'm I'm yeah, I'm beat. Yeah. Stop. And even the announcers are like, hey, it's over. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. It's it's over. <laughs> but the fact that there's like a sense of like, um, like those are the rules. No eye gouging and no biting or whatever. But fundamentally, you're going to not do those rules when you panic. Like that's the that's the, like the, the most interesting thing to me. Or like, remember like Tyson and Holyfield. And it was just like, oh, you saw him losing and he panicked. And just like this you know, animal part of your brain turns on and all of a sudden you forget that you're playing a sport and you only remember that there's someone attacking you. So yeah, you can end up biting someone at some point. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had a, I had a bunch of things I wish like we, I mean, this is how you know I'm a great writer. I need 16 hours to tell the story. <laughs> I want to tell. But uh, no, I, uh, I mean, I saw some comments about, you know, why didn't you talk uh, more about McGregor? sort of like Conor McGregor has like more of a like, race baiting style of trash talk yeah mm-hmm. i wanted to talk it's just like there just simply wasn't time for a lot of stuff i wanted to talk about chechnya a lot mm-hmm. chechnya mma i didn't have time for that like we have a we have a section about khabib and connor but it just you know literally that if we got into everything we wanted to get in with khabib and connor it's like probably another 25 minutes oh yeah there's a one point he calls him um connor calls khabib's father a terrorist rat which is pretty <laughs> cool yeah uh, you, uh, I wanted to talk about affliction a lot, and affliction was same company as the t-shirts, right? Yeah, just, of just make yeah. It yeah. Sure. And they were, they were this. They, <laughs> Felix wanted to talk about the affliction of mental illness. <laughs> on <our society. laughs> no, I just wanted to raise awareness of shirts. I think they're cool. <laughs> uh, but they they started an MMA promotion. Their CEO Tom Atencio uh, did it to compete with the UFC because they had a falling out with Dana White over some weird t-shirt money bullshit. <laughs> And uh, so seems they, like there's a lot of Facebook style beefs in this sport. Oh my god! So these are <laughs> multi-billion dollar companies, and the head of it is like, "You're a fucking fake pussy, dude." <laughs> Honestly, but uh, so Affliction was a very interesting promotion. They signed like at the time, people seemed to think that the best heavyweight talent was outside the UFC, and they signed most of it. And they, to their credit, they paid fighters a shitload of money. It was actually pretty cool. They were just horribly run. I mean, amazingly well-designed T-shirts, though. Ama- yeah, you, looking <laughs> at the T-shirts, a beautiful aesthetic. Looking that- at the T-shirts, you would, uh, you would, you would think it would be a better-run promotion. Uh, but yeah, they they had 
they had this uh they had a deal with Fedor Emelianenko who was thought to be the greatest heavyweight in the world and I some uh erroneously stated him to be the greatest of all time and that's not I think that's erroneous not because Emelianenko sucked but because I don't think the heavyweight's going to be the greatest of all time it's the most shallow talent pool kind of but anyway one of their investors was Donald Trump and their chief of operations was Michael Cohn. <laughs> and I wanted to talk about it so much, but there just literally wasn't time. They're just like to tell the main story. There, there are all these things that add to it, but it just, you know, two hours is already so fucking much. And yeah, well, one of the, one of the threads that uh, I noticed when I was talking to you about earlier in one of the little promo videos I saw is uh, just the phrase condom depot <laughs> really, really stuck in my head. Can you explain a uh, condom depot? And it's, it's like a depot. You like you lead your horse in, you tie them up, you buy a bit of whiskey. It's like a depot. I'm you never sell, you sell the pelts that you caught. I'm never shopping at condom depot again. These taste terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but this is so condom depot was it was like an online condom bulk wholesaler like an online Costco for condoms dude that is like the, that is the ultimate like humble brag shit it's like yo I fuck so much I'm buying my condoms wholesale <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta get these things by the shipping pallet how many of their sales do you think were just liars <laughs> oh, yeah dude. no shit I need a thousand condoms a week like, like a guy who wanted to like impress a girl by like being like yeah this is my garage and they have a shipping pallet of magnum condoms <laughs> just like yeah those are all mine yeah, you just like yeah you bring a girl home and like your entire nightstand is just made up of pallets of condom depot condoms You're like yeah it's my furniture <laughs> one thing that i love about that by the way is that okay like when i first saw felix's first draft of the script i was like oh, okay well he's just that's just a flourish See, like there wasn't actually condom depot on people's shorts and it turns out there were and like everyone at my company who reviewed the script were just like you didn't photoshop that right that was actually condom depot I'm like yeah there is an interesting economic side to condom depot though uh, there always is. There's always, yeah. No, I work in Condom Depot. No, the economics department, not the <laughs> jizz department. But uh, th so this was back before the Reebok deal. And the Reebok deal, it, it it was Reebok became sort of the exclusive fighter apparel sponsor of the UFC, meaning that uh, they couldn't get outside sponsors, and that used to be how fighters made a ton of their money. And Condom Depot was a big sponsor for the middle class of fighters, which we don't really have as much anymore. Fighters who would like maybe be in a contender's fight, but probably never fight and certainly not win a belt. And uh, for a certain type of fighter, the best real estate you could get was on the back of their shorts. And everyone always laughed like that they had Condom Depot on the ass <laughs> of their shorts. And of course, like every guy who watched it at Buffalo Wild Wings would be like, I would never put a condom in my ass. I'm not gay. But uh, it, it, the reason they put it there is because for a certain type of fighter, like a wrestler who would stall a lot, who would sort of stall against the cage and the clinch, for about 70% of that fight, you're seeing their ass. Yeah. And that's huge. That's huge banner real estate. And guys like someone like Jake Shields, a... Uh, who I think is like a kind of a MAGA guy now, interestingly enough, a vegan jujitsu guy became a MAGA guy, but he, uh, he would, a guy like him would get a ton of money for having like on his ass. And Condom Depot was one of the big sponsors. They famously, yeah, Sean Shirk, when he won the belt, had Condom Depot on his ass. <laughs> uh, funny you bring it up, uh, you know. Friends, you know, are, are are you sick of buying condoms at uh, retail prices? 
I'm just sorry. This is a live read now. We actually this is our first live read on the show. It's for it's for condom <laughs> uh, We have a it's a, a variety of uh, deluxe uh, premium condoms using the best premium latex <laughs> and uh, sheep's bladders. A variety of different lubes, flavors, colors, and novelty items. Uh, get your condoms at Condom Depot. Have safe sex at wholesale prices. That's you know that's an unexplored boutique market. Is uh animal animal lining condoms for like mehabe renaissance fair people (laughs) you could you could make a pretty penny off that each condom depot condom has a silver microbial layer to wick away bacteria (laughs) off your sweaty disgusting dick and clean you don't take a shower buy condom depot Do you do you do you fucking hate when your mailman makes fun of the place you buy condoms from online? <laughs> I'm Mark Marin going, don't you fucking hate using condoms? Have <laughs> <laughs> unsafesexdepot.com. We don't sell anything. We're, we're advertising a lifestyle. It's just a raw dog advocacy group. <laughs> Like, why are the Koch brothers funding this? So weird. <laughs> yeah, the, the the Mercers are funding just like the raw dog lifestyle. Actually, Affliction should have T-shirts in Old English that says like "raw dog fuck condoms." <laughs> I'm surprised they don't. <laughs> um, I I haven't seen an Affliction shirt in the, in, a, in the wild yeah, forever. No, actually, that's really weird because like I remember for the the aughts is this like strange frozen moment in American culture that seems so far away and distant from where our culture currently is. But like the era of like yeah affliction t-shirts and then before that the Von Dutch hat, well, these things come Remember and go. Remember all the Sailor Jerry stuff? Oh my oh god, man. Yeah. that was a time. Actually, I had this conversation with someone recently. I had it with Cal. I was like, did we all just forget that all clothes were horrifying in like 2006? Like go back and look at like a like a MTV Awards red carpet, and it's yeah. like everyone it's looked. Mm-hmm. Awful. It's really weird, Terrible. but like the the affliction thing, like that was like it was a type of t shirt that stood in for a type of person. Yeah, and like the affliction t shirt guy. Those people are still around, but like, what have they morphed into? Because I haven't seen an affliction t shirt in a long time either. I've, I've seen them on very, very, very recent immigrant men. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they wear now. I mean, we would have to consult the experts, Michael and Tom and Aaron, right, on this, but. uh I mean, there are sim- they wear similar things. Well, do you see those uh, algorithmically generated shirts that they have on Facebook that are like, yeah, they're like, yeah I'm a Gemini who is <laughs> dishonorably discharged from the army. Yeah, like uh, my wife's a veterinarian. I've been dishonorably discharged from the army and I was born in July. Come fuck with me. Yeah. I just yeah. got a microaggressed by Facebook trying to advertise me a pair of socks that said on the bottom of them, if I'm wearing these... Leave me alone. I'm watching Hallmark movies and bring me wine. <laughs> oh, Wait, on oh my socks? God. On the bottom socks. of the socks. Yeah. <laughs> those are just, those are like Yeah, stockings. first of all, you'd really have to zoom in to read the print, I think. Like, it's one on each foot. Yeah. That's yeah, like so the- it's bro- broken up. But also, why do they think I want that? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I think a few people, you're one of the only people besides me who's broken the algorithm. <laughs> Like, yeah, they just don't know how to advertise to me now. But that that sock design, that's like a the Ben Garrison school of sock design. <laughs> There's everything out there. One thing, it really is some Houdini-level magic that Affliction accomplished what they did, which is to call their, like, super aggro shit um, Affliction. 
which is like, <laughs> oh, I got to go get this checked out. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, wow, those are look like shit. <laughs> I know. These are, these are the socks that Facebook decided. So the scenario is like, hey, sit down and come to the level of my foot and like stare at my mm-hmm. foot from a foot away. So, yeah. Is that for like doms? It's like corny be. doms. If, if you can Turn read on this, Hallmark and bring me wine. Is one of them. <laughs> they should have. Uh, they should have socks that say, uh, "If you can read this print, uh, you're a disgusting little worm who should be washing <laughs> my toes." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it is weird that they. It was called. It's just a classic case of like a dumb guy hearing a word that he doesn't really know what it means, and he's mm-hmm. like. That just sounds awesome. <laughs> but do you think that like uh, I, I I think maybe it's morphed into like the affliction stuff because it's like, yeah, I'm afflicted. I'm afflicted with with rage and, and just strangeness. Yo, I'm, I'm possessed by the devil, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I have stage four beast mode. <laughs> do you think that, that like- has morphed into like the, the Joker kind of stuff? Yes. Uh, a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. It. yeah. That's it. Like all the, it's just that's like, it. uh, Dinosaurs never went away. They just all flew. They all became birds. So when you see like a stork or ostrich, you're really looking at a T-Rex. And when you see like a like a Joker guy being or like with damaged on their forehead or just someone so for, being very twisted. Yeah, that's like the affliction guys. They went from evolved. afflicted to twisted. <laughs> that's stage five. It's terminal. Stage five beast mode. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sorry, sir. Your wife has gone full beast mode. <laughs> I do wish uh, I could, after watching the, the episodes that I've seen, I wish I could have seen more of the audience. The, uh, the audience. I, I'm so ass. curious. I'm so curious. There. So the early audience, it was. It looked like a lot of guys who were long haul truckers, honestly. But the later audiences, uh, they were more diverse. Uh, but you had a strong contingent of you know, the ideal cross-section Trump voter, a sort of suburban, uh, mm-hmm. like, upper-middle-class guy who has a blue-collar affectation. Right. And my favorite... Writing I'm gonna, more dads, man. Yeah, I'm going to try to find this gif for this episode just so people know what I'm talking about. It's the greatest gif of the late 2000s UFC. It's these two guys, two, like, middle-aged guys with highlights <laughs> uh, wearing, like, club shirts with popped collars, just like the and they realize the camera's on them and they just like freak out and start doing the shittiest shadow boxing ever. I'm <laughs> <laughs> to find I'm so it. excited. Yeah. And it was just like if someone ever is like, what was 2008 like? I'm just gonna send them that. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. So like the the documentary's been out what like uh, about a week now. Like the last episode premiered uh, uh, Friday. Oh, yeah. Friday a little earlier this week. So like it's been like a little amount of time i'm just curious like how is if you gotten any feedback like how has this been received by the broader mma world well the ceo of youtube called me and said it's getting so many hits he's uh, asking permission to put the most powerful servers online and that's frankly very cool yeah he's gonna get a new cd rom for it yeah <laughs> no it's been it's been really um positive overall i mean there's been definitely uh the minority of people i expected which is like what are politics doing in this and there's also like my audience sb nation audience that is suddenly um being exposed to the dirtbag left which is really really funny and they're like where did all these politics come from i don't understand how you made fun of George W. Bush and Barack Obama. <laughs> Those are the two kinds of politics. What are you doing? Yeah, and I was like, I was like, you know what the thing about me is? I skewer both sides. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I saw like there were a lot of like MAGA people in I think episode two who were like, that clip of Donald Trump is why I voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> it's like, okay, man. Wait, yeah. what was the clip of Donald Trump? Or no, it wasn't Donald Trump. It was 
it was Dana White at the Republican convention oh, being like, right. Donald Trump came to the UFC and that's why I'm voting for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and it was like one of the guys who lies. He's like, I was a Bernie supporter, but then it's like, mm-hmm. maybe, but like, yeah, you probably weren't, man. I don't believe you. <laughs> but like, uh, but like as to that, that, that reaction, which I imagine is fairly commonplace, like to me, obviously nothing makes more sense than weaving in like the politics of our era with the popular culture and entertainment of it. But like, how do you respond to someone who's like a UFC fan? And they, they say like, you know, why, why are politics in my sports documentary? Well, the UFC literally made a documentary just like very recently about how cool Donald Trump is. (laughs) So there you go, man. No, this is just counter programming. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I'm surprised you get it because you, like you did the Randall Cunningham thing. Yeah. Like you've done a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I've done a, a bunch of pro union, definitely left leaning shit uh, over the years, but I guess this is the one they can't, they can't take. But I mean, most of them are still really receptive to it. Yeah. But like, do you think people like, uh, they, they react, um, they have like an instinctive kind of like revulsion or like, Ooh, what's politics doing in this? Because like our entertainment is so, in, is so precious to people because it's like, that's what they do. Like that's their thing to hang on to when they're not working or whatever. And they don't want to think, even at their job about this kind of stuff. And then like their thing, whether it's like a sport or a TV show or like music. And then when like politics gets put in that, like they, there's like an instinctual, like, Oh, get that away from me because I don't want to, you know, I want to cross the streams or whatever. I do actually have a lot of sympathy for that. Strangely. Um, because like, yeah, of course, like politics kind of is, is part of it's woven into everything now. But, um, I do understand the desire to just like escape all that shit. And sports have served that role for me a lot of the time. Like to me, sports are great because it's the one place where I don't have to have an opinion because opinions are exhausting for me to have. I fucking hate having them. (laughs) And the second something is like low stakes enough where I don't have to have an opinion, I'll be like, Oh, that's fine. Uh, All the teams are playing good. I'm just going to watch this and just frictionlessly just appreciate things without um, getting mad or upset or whatever. So, like, I get it when people just want to just sit down and not be bothered for a little while. Christopher Lash wrote really, really well about games and sports in the 70s because there was, like, this kind of, like, allegedly progressive term away from sports because they're like oh they're so competitive and they they teach you know competition he's like actually like competition is good it's just it shouldn't be it like the whole idea of sports is that it puts competition in a place where the stakes are very low um yeah this really good line and he says games here referring to anything but he's mostly talking about sports uh games satisfy the need for free fantasy and the search for gratuitous difficulty simultaneously they combine childlike exuberance with deliberately creative complications. They enlist skill and intelligence, the utmost concentration of purpose on behalf of utterly useless activities, which make no contribution to the struggle of man against nature, to the wealth or comfort of the community, or its physical survival. And that's his argument for sports. And it's like a very, like, it's a good thing. But also, we can talk about the politics of sports. It's going to be fine. Yeah. You can always go back to watching the men hit each other afterwards. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm also sympathetic to that. Like I if you just wanted to be an escape, yeah, I'm fine with you not watching it. Uh straight it highly, you know, buy some fake accounts to up the views. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's literally all I'm asking. Oh yeah, well I mean that's what we did, Felix. Um we're getting about so far about eighty thousand to one hundred and fifty thousand views per episode. Most of those are bots. We've only had about Great. seventeen or eighteen people watching. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I expected. Yeah. Right. It's fine. Well, 
Uh, I don't think I should uh, let us get to the end of the episode without bringing up uh, the uh, news item that I'm sure all of you are thinking about and uh, really preoccupied with, you know, emotionally and psychologically. I'm talking about the passing of our 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush, who died at the age of 94 uh, the other day and has been reunited with his lovely wife, Barbara, and XXX Tentacion in heaven. Yeah. It was, you know, unexpected friendship. They both had, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. later in life. It sucks. They, we both lost them in 2016, X and George H.W. Bush. But George is there. You know, I have word from staffers in heaven that George H.W. Bush and Barry Seal are recording an album. <laughs> Just You love to see it, man. Uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, probably the, the first president that I had a uh, sort of an awareness or memory of. Like, I was alive during a good chunk of the Reagan administration, but I had almost no conception of him at all as president or anything that happened then because I was too young. Uh, I remember the first Gulf War uh, vividly. And uh, George H.W. Bush managing that weird sort of uh, transition from the 80s into the 90s. And I was just wondering, uh, any 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 thoughts or recollections? Again, uh, number forty-one. I uh, mostly just keep looking at this political cartoon. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. So hot. With them, George and Barbara making out in front of the pearly gates. But the weird thing is, you still have to be your old, nearly dead self in heaven. Like they don't get even get to be young again. It's just like two burlap sacks rubbing up <laughs> against each other. That's what you're joining your your beloved in the mm-hmm. hereafter is yeah. going to be maybe that's what the 27 club is just like people who wait outside to be the first to get an iphone they're like <laughs> oh this is a perfect age to be forever <laughs> i got it um you know my thoughts on we've we've joked around a lot but i have some serious thoughts on bush if you guys don't mind yeah oh, go spit. On. we used to worry about desert storm now we worry about stormy daniels <laughs> <laughs> I'll be perform- I'll be performing live in Uncasville, Connecticut at the Mohegan Sun. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've noticed that uh, again. I don't want to spend too much time because I feel like we've already done this with uh, John McCain's death. And by the way, I did see a newspaper cartoon where it was like George Bush landing his plane in heaven, and John McCain's plane is already there, and he's like, "Welcome, brother." Yeah, you, McCain, you McCain is like, here. I've honestly done that before. I've landed it <laughs> properly before, <laughs> but um. Yeah, I mean, we are being treated now, again, like in a very predictable way to uh, a sort of uh, reassessment and uh, as of George H.W. Bush. Is like, even though he was a one-term president, he was just such a fundamentally decent man and human being and like and being set up intentionally as a contrast to Donald Trump or like a Republican of yesteryear. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, he was also still like head of the fucking CIA and Reagan's vice president, like pretty much a ghoul his entire Campaign life. Campaign run by Lee Atwater. <laughs> yeah, and Roger Ailes. Yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, of course, it's the same thing. It's like if you make fun of him dying even slightly, it's just like a man has died. Have some decency. And Felix, I think you said it best. It's like he wasn't murdered or like died of some tragic illness or whatever. Old. He was 94. He and like lived, lived a long yeah. What counts for happiness among, you know, lost lives. Well, that is the thing that, like, annoyed me on both sides. Like, every time, like, someone like this dies, and, like, how he died, like, rich, surrounded by his family that he only hates, like, half of. Uh, <laughs> um, Unlike Barbara, who literally hated anything that came out of her vagina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Except Neil. Neil's the, Neil's the king of the family. Everyone respects <laughs> Neil. But, uh... 
you know, uh, probably got to spend the last 20 years of his life doing whatever stupid shit he thought was cool, like collecting grandfather clocks or something. <laughs> and so for both, like for the, you know, sort of NRO conservative slash like center, center liberal media who were like, a man has died. And it's like, well, he died better than 99.99% of it. It literally happens to everyone, man. No, it's but, like you but, said, like, these he, people don't understand mortality, and I think the internet, it does this too with people we like. Where they're like, no, not this person who is a thousand years old. Like, yeah. they, it's like people forget that people die. Well, it's like for all, like, the NRO guys uh, who are like, you know, you know, have you, like, this is, civility is just, like, degraded so more we can't even let a man die in peace. And it's just like, what are you mad about? He won. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I'm making fun of him, but he fucking won. Yeah, he like, got everything he wanted. die in peace, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is the thing. That is sort of the funny thing about, you know, I literally found out about it while we were streaming while we were playing this dumb game called Realm Royale. And we we're like, I was like, oh my God, really? And we like laughed about it. But it's like, why are we laughing? Because it's like, yeah, he won. That's literally going <laughs> to yeah. happen to all of us. And he yeah. died better than probably anyone I like anyone is. And, 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 it's, like, and it's like, yeah, every it's not like we got him. He just checked out at the end of a long career of successes. Yeah. It, it's like he, whatever anyone people are like oh we got you you fucker oh you you oh looks like you couldn't live forever bitch <laughs> okay the thing that literally no one has done i mean it's gonna happen with kissinger and i guess the catharsis when people like this die but with kissinger it's like yeah no one even came close to getting him man exactly. um, like whatever yeah. when mccain and now george w bush when any of these like sort of you know ancient vampires finally turns into dust or whatever it's just kissinger still out there Still drawing breath. And obviously, yeah. he's every time one of these guys dies, Kissinger starts trending online because people are st just check, yeah. fucking he's like just hoping. He's still there, just waddling around like but a again, fucking psychopath. I can't wait for him to fucking die. And like the world will be made slightly, slightly better by him exiting this uh, mortal plane of existence. But like, again, he fucking won. Nobody even came close to fucking even like putting cuffs on him for a trial that he'd probably be acquitted of. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like. A very, very Pyrrhic victory. But if you think I'm going to be nice to any of these people or just like talk about, you know, how graceful and respectful and dignified they were, like, fuck off. Here's my, like, I gave people the same mental exercise to ease their nerves when John McCain died and they saw all the hagiography. Do the same thing I told you then. Mentally replace, like when you see Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, be like, you know, he was an honorable man. Replace George H.W. Bush's name with Chris Benoit. And just imagine they're eulogizing him. It just you, you, you just you 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 have a lot more fun seeing the equal hagiography. Just do that, you know. Don't. It's easy. It's easy to get frustrated with all this shit. It sucks. It sucks to see the hagiography. But you know, end of the day, he won. He's dead. Uh, pretend they're talking about Chris Benoit. And uh, just go to Condom Depot. Get yourself an affliction shirt. It's okay. <laughs> Keep going. By the way, uh, John, as, as long as you're here, and I noticed you uh, you did it again for uh, George H.W. Bush. You have, uh, I think, one of the, the, the funniest continually running gags on oh, Twitter of one. just uh, saying, like, you know, say what you want about George H.W. Bush, but I got receipts. <laughs> and then you just post, like, an incredibly low-resolution image <laughs> of, like, text that just is illegible. It's, like, you know, four pixels by six pixels. That's uh, – 
That's a great bit, John. Thank you. Please a, don't stop doing bit. it. Yeah, it's a very laborious proce- uh, process where I uh, make increasingly low res JPEGs by screenshotting it, putting it in Photoshop, and cycling it through the wash like five <laughs> times <laughs> until it's just totally illegible. But yeah, it's mostly just to make fun of nosy people. Like I'll I'll tweet something like. Oh, you want to tweet at me like this? Well, I've got the receipts. And then it's just like, what? It's not your fucking business. Why do you click on that? <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of juicing something with like juicing people with something that they really want to know and see. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, like you said, been put through the wash like 10 fucking times. <laughs> and it gets the great thing is like, we're so, I understand how people fall for it because I would fall for it too. But like, if I do it sparingly enough, like only like once a month or something, people fall for it every fucking time. <laughs> And they get mad, and when they get mad, it's because they fell for it. It's such a good game. <laughs> Thank you. Do you remember when George H. W. Bush threw up on the Japanese prime oh, minister? Yeah. Wasn't that good? That was because so he was uh, he had a venom in him. That's why he lived <laughs> He's so long. The goop out of yeah, him. he got the goop. That's why he lived so long. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's interesting that like the speaking of the hagiography, like if 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 Trump dies after leaving office, which let's be honest, he probably will because he'll another another ghoul who will live to be like 120 years old against all odds. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. right. Yeah. It never makes a hideous sense. diet and like guy who's been drinking Coke and eating McDonald's every day of Doesn't his life. Doesn't sleep. Um, all the hairspray that's soaked into his body. Yeah, and God his knows scalp. what chemicals yeah. just talk He probably yeah, and he probably does some weird thing we don't know about. Like he requests asbestos in places you live. Yeah. It's yeah, better. Like he, I like it. He doesn't drink, but he does a shot of mercury every day. Yeah. If he manages to die after leaving office and like by by then, you know, I can't even imagine who will be president. Like, you know, uh, President Laura Loomer. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump really reminds us of what dignity was like. If he manages to die out of office and whoever, whatever insane person is president then, as we discussed, you know, Grimace, the Hamburglar, yeah, uh, any one of those. He changed yeah. herself to the gate until Ooh. people were like, "Fine, just you, let her be president." <laughs> you know, I'm so sick of Hamburglar voters who won't support Grimace. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if he yeah, if he manages to die out of office, he will get the same kind of treatment. Where he oh yeah. Oh, they'll say like you know a controversial president, but like you know. He, he, he certainly was the president, and you have to respect that. <laughs> you can't take that away from him. Yeah. And then, yeah, they, there will be calls to be like, you know, let's not gloat. Or, you know, like a man, a man has died. He, he's a father to, to four beautiful children. <laughs> <laughs> also, he fainted after he barfed, which is so fucking cool. Yeah. That yeah. Was he didn't awesome. just barf. He I fainted. mean, whom among us? What, what was the, it was like, didn't he say like jet lag? Like food poisoning or something? I thought he had food poisoning. It was really interesting, though, because this was a pre-internet time, and, like, I don't think it... I think everyone was slightly embarrassed by it. And if something like that had happened now, it would just be a solid week of whatever platform you were on, you would just see a gif of that. New York Times, just a gif of that. That would be the entire front page of the New York Times home. No, here's what you would see. A gif of vomiting president. (laughs) Here's what you would see. Uh, Like the still shot of him just like leaning over and just like booting in the guy's lap. And it would just be like text on the image. And it would be like the Japanese prime minister, uh, me, George W. Bush and his vomit, like my anxiety and depression. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I want to... I wonder how many guys there were who like got their wires crossed about like urban legends and shit. We're like, I heard George W. Bush had to get his stomach pump in Japan because he had <laughs> 70 liters of cum in there. He just got it mixed up with a lie about like Rod Stewart or something. Yeah. <laughs> And, he, and it's like, what if... No I'm, joke, though. George H.W. Bush uh, was admitted to a hospital ER with a gerbil up his ass. <laughs> that was a 
simpler time, though. I wish we could have more things like urban legends, and now everything just gets converted into sad girl memes. There's no mystery anymore. Yeah. It sucks. I want to I wanna do some like statistical research and find out if there were those guys who thought George Bush had 72 liters of cum in his stomach, <laughs> and what if those were the guys who who like they won the election for Clinton. They either went to Perot or, or... Yeah, they vote, they were Perot voters. Yeah, they're, they're like, like, yo, I can't vote for Clinton, but that's sauce, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've been a Republican voter my whole life, but I'm voting for Perot because I can't support a man who chugged uh, six quarts of uh, semen. That's the funniest story, the Rod Stewart one, because it's like, you couldn't even like make that many guys come. You would just have to. You would have to like have that much come like in containers and just come into the room and just drink all of it. There'd be no sex involved. I mean, he's got mini fridge money. Yeah, it's true. That's just literally just drinking the. His jizz. writer is really confusing. Uh, the other, the other interesting uh, thread to George H. W. Bush dying is like you know the, in the the sort of like I said the hagiography hey and the civility police are like, you know, you're talking about a man who is like deeply respected by like at least half of this country, which is like, A, not true. No. Like half of this country doesn't even remember George H.W. Bush. Yeah, he was wasn't right. in an they infinity just think, war. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like, and speaking about like, you know, the, the the Republicans or conservatives, they're like, you know, have some respect. Like the, this guy mattered. And it's just like, but now like conservatism has gotten so weird. A good chunk of Trump supporters think George H.W. Bush assassinated John F. Kennedy. And it's like awesome. he was in Dallas on November 22nd, awesome. 1963, yeah. by the way, and was when this, at Just the nexus saying. of the Just CIA saying. and Texas oil money. So not saying he did it or, do, you know, if I did it by George H.W. Bush. But a big part of the QAnon conspiracy theory is that JFK Jr. is still alive and is Q and shows up at Trump rallies, like seemingly looking like other people. Which you know you do if you were faked your death years ago. That's the smartest thing to do. But like a big part of it is they think JFK Jr.'s idiotic politics, sexy politics magazine George was called that because that was his way of telling people who killed his dad. Because there's no other Georges. Well, that it could have been named. Yeah, after. And they, they, actually, if you who look else at, like, could it the be? The first issue of George, and I've seen this. It's like uh, Cindy Crawford is on the cover, dressed like George Washington. Mm -hmm. But then, like you know, in the magazine, like where they give you like the the headlines of like what else is in the magazine. One of them is like shooting a president but it's about like photographers or something and they're like dude he's telling you but what i love about that conspiracy theory is like okay you're jfk jr you are uh widely considered the most eligible bachelor in america like one of the most handsome famous guy who has it all how could i let people know oh i get it i'll just name my magazine cryptically after the guy who killed my father why not just be like hey hi i'm jfk jr george hw bush killed my dad no like, but it's like a, it's a it's a little treasure hunt Exactly. I love Q QAnon is like, it's like the Zyborn clock for boomers. <laughs> <laughs> they made their own massive RPG. <laughs> and JFK Jr. is Johnny Five Aces. All right. You think we should uh, wrap it up? Yeah. I don't think so. Okay. Well, uh, once again, I'd like to thank uh, John Boyes for joining us today. The of documentary course. is Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. I'd like to thank uh, Tito Ortiz for thanking Felix for doing the documentary. Thank you to the Chapo FYM boys who got me this as a Christmas present. They got me a cameo of Tito Ortiz congratulating us on the doc. Well, he said Chaplo FLM. But, <laughs> you know, still wonderful. And this is the Wrap It Up segment sponsored by Condom Depot. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is uh, the plug part of the show sponsored by butt plug depot uh, again get your get your butt plugs at butt plug depot at wholesale prices antimicrobial uh it'll wick the shit away from your asshole uh and just leave you feeling very filled uh i do actually uh we are 
Uh, Matt, Virgil, and myself will be at Princeton University on Thursday, December 6th for a civilized conversation about debate at the Princeton Debating Society in Whig Hall at Princeton University. The event will be open to the public and free of charge. So if you want to come out and see us talk about how to, intel- how to debate intelligently and civilly at Princeton University, I will be moderating a debate between Matt and Virgil. Oh, mostly I'm, I would expect to be about what to have for lunch. Yeah. Oh, I have, a, I have a plug that also involves Virgil, actually. Uh, Union Hall, December 17th. Episode one is coming to Brooklyn, New York. Woo! Woo! Uh, Virgil, Texas will be participating. And any of you if you want to, really, honestly. But I will be as well. Uh, um, any, any, can you give us any hint of what characters you'll be portraying? Uh, let's just say Chalmers, Pinochet Harding, and... Uh, Gilroy Monsanto may return. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Once again, the documentary series is Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. Felix Biederman, Amber Frost, Will Menneker, and John Boys. Thank you so much again for joining us. Of course. And to you, signing off. Cheers. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Felix, I heard you're a big MMA fan and a fan of mine. I appreciate your support. Thank you very much. I heard you're coming out with the documentary. Fighting in the age of a loneliness. And yes, it's pretty damn lonely as being a fighter. Congratulations to you, man. Talk about the history of MMA. I hope it does really, really well. I want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And this comes from all your boys at Chapro FLM. I appreciate your support, man. Thank you. Hope you have wonderful holidays. Peace.